1: I'm looking for the top performers in their fields, uh, the scientists, clinicians, engineers, et cetera, that are really going above and beyond and learning what's not commonly known. So today I have Ayanna Jones. Uh, she's a graduate student at Emory University. We're going to be talking about uh, the dynamics of the rhizosphere of, of plants, bacteria, and climate change. So Ayanna, thanks for coming.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, what, what is the rhizosphere for people that don't know?
2: Yeah, so the rhizosphere is a complex zone of soil um, surrounding plant roots um, with various interactions between plants, bacteria, and other microorganisms.
1: Yeah, I've heard that uh, bacteria, I guess, will form in, I guess, plant-created structures or maybe bacteria-created structures called nodules mm-hmm. you know, on the roots. Like, What, what does the uh, rhizosphere look like? If you you know, pulled a plant out of the ground and looked, what would you see?
2: Yeah, so really, once you pull the plant out of the ground, you're really going to be looking at the roots, and the rhizosphere is like a coating, um, if you can imagine, a very thin coating that's kind of invisible to the human eye, Um, but, you know, it's just whatever coats the roots of plants, and so this zone is very unique because um, many complex interactions are occurring, and we want to study the rhizosphere because it can give us a lot of insight into um, plant dynamics, as well as the unique chemistry of the plant and its surroundings.
1: But well, what's the rhizosphere composed of? What's in it and what's in it how it's happening?
2: Yeah, so the rhizosphere um, is mostly uh, composed of, you know, microorganisms um, and various other um, uh, channels, if you will, where these microorganisms can move throughout and really um, kind of uh, either assists with wounding processes, or, um, you know, if a plant gets wounded, just like humans, um, it has its own unique mechanism in which micro-organ- microorganisms will come around and try to repair the plant if it can. And so, um, you know, other channels will allow other channels within the rhizosphere will allow um, the plant to uptake water and um, interact with other nutrients that may be in the soil. Um, so this is really kind of like a cellular membrane, if you will, where um, the the plants and the the plant can communicate with the outside environment.
1: So, what is the plant able to do with its root structure? What is able? What able, What is it not able to do that the rhizosphere does for it? Have you has that been Seized apart and figured out.
2: Yeah. So, uh, and this is actually getting into what we are examining with our own research. Um, You know, the rhizosphere really allows, um, and you know, there are other ways that microorganisms can, you know, interact with the plant, but specifically the rhizosphere is unique because um, it is such a complex zone. And um, ultimately the rhizosphere is useful because it allows us, particularly in my lab and in the group, to um, examine um, the availability of various nutrients and produced by the plant and how this regulates cellular behavior at wounding versus non-wounding sites. And so for our research, this is interesting to us because um, this could be an analog for understanding other biological processes and how, wounding occurs and how we can uh, repair wounding. Not only that, but also, um, it's, it's a, it's a myriad of applications, um, not only biologically, but also environmentally in regards to understanding how microorganisms can contribute to, um, climate change and how understanding this unique sphere of the plant can help us, um, with agricultural, um, production and engineering better products to um, ultimately um, increase crop yields and reduce um, emissions into the atmosphere
1: So are you studying how plants get hurt or you know like what, yeah. or is it all yeah. these things or like how would, yeah, it's all how would the root system of a plant be hurt
2: yeah it's all these things so mostly we're looking at um, the kinetics of wounding and non wounding sites um, of plants
1: what does that mean? How does a plant get wounded? How does it get hurt? How would this happen out in the, you know, in a field or in nature?
2: Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, plants can get wounded different ways, um, you know, naturally by age, you know, um, by physical um, processes. So, if you take, for instance, if you look at grass, um, you know, if you, like, break grass like if you take a piece of grass and you break it it's wounded right and so naturally this um ignites a unique um response from the plant just how when we get wounded um you know our you know white blood cells start to go to work and um our our bodies are trying to um prohibit any bacteria or any other type of um Complications from forming from that wound site. So, just as that um, is happening for us for plants, is the same way. So, what we look at um, is we look at um, the kinetic models that show the behavior of the bacteria at wound and non-wounding sites on the host, and um, we hope to uh, that this will help us determine the availability of oxygen and um, um, it, oxygen within the rhizosphere. Um, specifically the bacteria that we're looking at migrate towards um, host cells and um, express pathogen genes. So we're really looking at um, the unique interplay between bacteria and pathogens in the rhizosphere. And we use both computational and experimental methods to do so. Um, And so we hope to find, um, um, we hope to better understand the kinetics of The chemistry in the rhizosphere because of course we, I am doing my PhD in chemistry, so um, it's still back to chemistry, but we hope to understand this and um, allow this to give us insight into um, other plants and um, allow us to further understand the role that this may have on climate change.
1: So if you understand what happens when a plant gets wounded, I mean would this mean maybe you can harvest certain crops in a different way so as not to you know, disturb their root systems to the point where they won't uh, <clears throat> be able to stay there and, you know, regrow, maybe that's an application or like, what would, what sure. an application be of what you learned?
2: For sure. Um, so yeah, that is definitely one application. Another application is um, uh, crop engineering. And that's kind of what that is as well, where you can literally um, engineer pesticides or engineer other um, growth aids or other plant aids to, you uh, prevent any unwanted um, bacteria or unwanted wounding, if you will, of the plant. Um, Another application is, as I I mentioned, climate change. We know that as climate change is occurring um, and as our populations are increasing, um, ultimately, you know, there's a shortage of land. And so, it's important for us to take care of the crops and the land that we have. And so, um, learning how to preserve the crops that we have is very important and um, it, it, um, extending the lifetime of those plants and what they can give us is very important so um, any type of plants or agricultural um, engineering can come out of this as well
1: well you mentioned climate change uh, are you studying what happens to the rhizosphere under let's say a higher carbon dioxide environment or uh, yeah. maybe greater soil acidity or like what conditions would would model that, that you can look at and see the effect.
2: Yeah, for sure. That's great. So um, that is definitely something that we plan on doing in the future. Right now, we're definitely um, doing the basics and removing any type of unneeded un- un- variables at the moment. Our goal is to um, complicate the model, if you will, by adding other variables, such as temperature, varying temperatures, or um, varying acidity, acidity levels in the soil. Um, Because these are things that must be considered, you know, if you're thinking about various environments from various locations all over the world, um, there are different, um, um, you know, climates and things. So it's important to, you know, understand those variables and how they can affect um, our results.
1: So what are you working on literally right now in your research? What kind of experiments do you have running? What are you trying to figure out?
2: Yeah, so at the moment, I am currently replicating um, work done by a previous postdoc, um, Olga Turan. And um, what she did is she initially, um, you know, created an analog, if you will, by using various solvents to mimic what she sees or what, what would be happening within the rhizosphere in regards to um, the pathogens. Um, and the parasitic uh, plants. And so I'm currently replicating her work and it's been very, very fun. Um, it's my first time actually growing plants in the lab to, as an experiment. So I've been really enjoying that. Um, I'm currently growing sorghum, um, which is a um, relative to corn actually. Um, I've never, tasted sorghum but um I've heard it's okay <laughs> um but sorghum is actually a common commonly found in Africa and um people have you know been wanting to learn more about sorghum because you know for various reasons you know um you know Africa could be it is a great um place to grow um uh, crops and so I think that you know understanding sorghum could open a window into understanding other types of crops uh, similar to sorghum and maybe dissimilar but using the same methods we could better understand other crops that we're growing.
1: So how do you differentiate between the bacteria that are necessary and commensal and mutualistic with a plant and what's you know, pathogenic ones, ones that aren't part of its normal, maybe called microbiome.
2: Yeah. So the parasitic plants that we're looking at is the striga asiatica. And the bacteria that we're studying is, particularly for my experiment, is the rhizobium radiobacter. That's the full name, um, the full scientific name. Um, so the pathogens um, in this case um, rely on semogenesis. And semogenesis is a Eukaryotic wounding process. Um, and the pathogens rely on semigenesis to generate small molecules through redox. Um, and so that's basically what's happening. So um, we're looking to see how these two interact. And um, you know, a lot is unknown actually. And so um, I'm curious to find out more about how uh the, the parasitic plants and the bacteria. Um, interact the, and the unique chemistry that comes out of their interaction.
1: Okay. Um I mean what functions in particular do bacteria seem to to have when they're, you know, in contact with the root system? I I guess they're doing the nitrogen fixation, like what what's what's common?
2: Yeah, so um when the bacteria um ultimately comes into contact with the plants, um it is using a unique process. So, when a plant is wounded, um, various chemicals are being um, released. And so our goal still is to learn more about um, what happens when the bacteria um, are interacting with the plants. We believe that um, they are um, kind of um, living, you know, on the, on the plant and attracted to the chemicals that the plant is releasing as it's being wounded. But we don't really yet know, um, we don't yet know, what exactly is going on and how they're benefiting from that. And so hopefully our research will show, um, you know, how they're using these chemicals and like what benefit it is to them.
1: And are you doing this just for uh, sorghum or for a bunch of plants? Like are there, yeah, so, you know, uh, amongst plants, are there very different types of root systems and, uh, you know, interactions or is it pretty similar across a certain class at least of plants?
2: Yeah. So as of now, I'm only looking at the sorghum, um, there is um, other literature that um, that where people are using other types of plants. Um, plants typically uh, fall into you know, two main categories. Um, and so uh, we're using, we're sticking to um, uh, monocots, if you will, um, more so than, um, which means that um, we're sticking to plants that um, like grass and uh, tobacco. And so, ultimately, we want to understand that first. And in the future, we will definitely be looking at um, plants of other classes, more complex plants, if you will, maybe that have, um, that may be larger, you know. But as of now, we're starting something very small and simple to use, which is sorghum seeds. And I'm currently growing those right now. And it's been really fun. Um, You know, the sorghum seeds are very, very tiny. And, um, of course, when they grow, they're, you know, larger but it's easier to maintain right now for our research so um yeah and and you know in the field currently there's been a lot of interest in um what we do which is systems chemistry that's really the overarching um category if you will of what, what kind of research we do um and systems chemistry is ultimately just looking at how systems um operate you know um, over a period of time and so um, we look at the rhizosphere as one large organ that is operating over, you know, you know, a period of time, obviously, that has many interactions. And it's our goal to understand the various interactions that are at play and how this ultimately benefits or um, does not benefit the rhizosphere.
1: What about, uh, you know, fungi that are there? I've heard that, uh, you know, that's a very important role as well, not just the bacteria, but the funguses that are there.
2: Yeah. So, um, I'm not sure actually, um, I assume that fungi or any other type of, um, organism or, you know, that's, that's surrounding the rightosphere will definitely have some impact. I think that the addition of the fungi varies, it has a different impact varying on the plant type or, you know, the environment for some plants. And I'm not sure which plants these are, but I'm assuming for some plants, the fungi could definitely benefit by providing various nutrients or, um, protection from other types of organisms but for others you know if it's if the fungi is placed in a system that is unnatural to the fungi or the plant it could harm the plant in various ways so um, you know I think for our research um, I don't see fungi being a, a large um, part of you know the system but um, it may be in, in the future as we uh, scale up the types of plants that we're looking at
1: okay it makes sense? Well, very good. What's the best way for people to, uh, you know, maybe get a glimpse into what you're doing? I don't know if there's any papers you put out or, you know, just to yeah. uh, to see what the lab's doing.
2: Yeah, of course. So um, right now I'm a first year graduate student, so I have not yet published anything in this just yet. Um, but if people are interested, they should definitely visit um, our lab's website, com l y n n l a b e m o r y dot com, and there you'll be able to find more about our group and various literature that we publish um, on this research and other work that that happens in our group.
1: Okay, very good. Well, I appreciate you coming, and uh, you know, I know I'm sure there's a ton going on there that uh, a lot of people have to work on to figure out. So, mm-hmm. I guess I think people think of plants as really simple things, but I mean, from what I've learned, they're like incredibly complex. So.
2: Yeah. And, and that's, uh, yeah, I've definitely learned that as well. And um, I, there's also other applications that I didn't mention the astrobiolo- astrobiological component, which understanding systems chemistry um, in both uh, plant microbiology, as well as astrobiology. Um, and so there's lots of things um, that you can take away different subfields. Um, so yeah.
1: well, very good. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.